You are listening to The Overwhelmed Brain. Today's episode is brought to you by GetOutOfTheMess.com. Let Asha, your Legal Shield associate, connect you to a legal insurance plan that's right for you. Quality attorneys at established law firms for about $20 a month. You gotta check it out. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old, rehashed, personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, the host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. Every week I discuss practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood, your sanity, your relationships, and almost everything else in your life. We'll talk about why we do the things we do and what we can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. My goal is to help you step into your power with every episode and do whatever it takes to help you discover the resources you need to create the life you want. Infidelity. It's one of the most challenging and damaging emotional events in life. I once heard from a therapist that next to losing a child, infidelity is one of the most painful experiences that someone can go through. And the more you trust and feel safe with someone, the more powerful and painful it feels when it happens. It can be debilitating and feel like emotional murder. I hate to use that term, but it really is just one of the worst emotional pains you can experience. Getting betrayed is like someone grabbing your heart so tightly it can't beat anymore. You can feel it in both your mind and body and can actually hurt worse than intense physical pain because of the full mind-body experience. I didn't want to actually address this topic because, quite frankly, I don't know if I'm the right person to talk about it. I mean, I've never had it happen to me, as far as I know, so it's rather difficult to know the pain as closely as other people that have gone through it. However, I do know pain. I know how intense negative emotions can feel, and that is something I can relate to. I also know how hard it can be to heal from the feeling of betrayal. Infidelity is so prevalent in our society that we have to talk about it. We have to figure out why it hurts so bad and why it's so hard to forgive someone after they've betrayed us, and especially if it's best to grow through the healing together or apart. Everyone has their tipping point. Some people want to forgive the cheater and move forward with the relationship, and others want nothing to do with them ever again and get as far away as possible. This sounds like a fun topic to talk about, right? (laughs) I know, it's serious and it's painful, and it's a highly sensitive subject, but I'll do my best to address it with respect. What I want to touch on in this episode are two aspects. One, a warning sign that you may not have thought about too much. And two, how to heal and move on after the cheating is found out. Whether you decide to stick together and heal as a couple or move apart and heal separately. Or whether you're the unbeknownst victim of a cheating partner or the cheating person yourself. No matter who you are, there's healing that needs to take place. Yes, even cheaters need to heal. Unless they don't feel bad about cheating, but that's an entirely different topic. Many cheaters do feel bad and have to live with regret their entire lives, which is not a quality way of life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to excuse behavior. I just want to address the consequences, the pain, and the healing surrounding the behavior. And if you're thinking of being unfaithful in your relationship, then maybe after today you'll change your mind. Betrayal is emotional murder. And once you step into that realm, there's no way back. Stick around, even if you're not in a relationship, because betrayal is betrayal, whether it's a close relative, a friend, or a romantic partner. There's a little something for everyone 
in this episode. In my 20s, I loved playing with scanners. Not the type of scanners that tell you the price of your items at a grocery store, but the type that you could tune into the police and emergency bands over the airwaves. Back then, in the late 80s, scanners picked up almost everything because hardly any, if any, of the signals were encrypted. In other words, the signals were not secure, meaning you could hear almost anyone who was talking on almost any wireless device. This included not only people with two-way radios, but also cordless phones, baby monitors, drive-up windows at fast food restaurants, and even the latest technology at the time, cell phones. I realize it sounds like I was quite the voyeur back then, and perhaps I was, I'll admit it, but I didn't know that what I was doing was intrusive in any way because I figured everyone knew that cordless devices could be heard over scanners, like someone tuning into a radio station. So I never really thought about it until a year or two later when I gave it up altogether. Anyway, when cell phones came out, they could easily be intercepted by using a simple Radio Shack scanner. All you had to do is scan for frequencies in the correct range, and soon you'd pick up a private conversation between two people. It wasn't a three-way call, however, because the two people talking couldn't hear me. So in a sense, I was illegally tapping their call. <laughs> Jeez, when I talk about it now, I feel kind of embarrassed to admit it, but I guess that's what I was doing. It was like walking by an open door and hearing a conversation going on and then choosing to stop and listen. But as I think back, I really don't remember most of the conversations I heard. I mean, many of us do talk about a lot of mundane things. <laughs> Except there was one conversation that stuck with me all this time. It was a man being really friendly to a woman on the other end of the line. They were talking as if they knew each other really well, and they were being cute by calling each other romantic pet names. You know the names we give to our partners like Honey and Baby, right? So the guy says, I'm in the driveway outside my house right now. And the girl says, oh yeah? What's going on? Can you see inside the window? Yeah, I can see my wife. <laughs> and it looks like she's cleaning the house or something. Then they both laughed. When I heard this, I think my heart skipped a beat. I was witnessing what appeared to be an affair in real time. I don't remember too much more of the conversation after that because I started having all kinds of thoughts. I was thinking... He's cheating? He's talking to his girlfriend while watching his wife in the house? What? That's terrible. I suddenly felt awful for the wife, thinking that he was playing her for a fool and she was probably completely oblivious to any of it. All kinds of stories were filling my head, thinking about this scenario with this unfaithful husband sitting in his car, talking to his girlfriend while watching the one he married take care of their house. I thought this woman in the house could be very happily married to the man she loves and trusts and respects. She probably doesn't think twice when he comes home from wherever he was and acts like everything is great. I thought, what a bastard. <laughs> when we try on what it might be like to be in someone else's shoes, we empathize in a way. We live vicariously through another person and experience the world not only knowing what they know, but also what we know. This might sound strange, but I imagined being that wife, not knowing what my husband was doing. I'm walking around. I'm cleaning the house. I'm not worrying about my marriage because I fully trust the person I am with. Life is just normal and good. Then I think about what it would feel like if I knew he was cheating on me. It would be so devastating and painful. I'd be crushed in so many ways and I wouldn't know who to trust or where to turn. The person I depended on most was now the most distrustful person in the world. The secrets I shared and all the special moments I once held close crushed in an instant. My entire marriage would feel like a scam, and every happy moment I remember with my husband would transform into a miserable, painful memory that lost any meaning they once had. 
It's a grim, pathetic picture I paint for sure, but all of this went through my head in just a few seconds. Lots of pain and a whole lot more loss of what was. When I snapped out of it and back to my own life, I thought back to how he was talking to his mistress on the other end of the phone. He sounded happy. He sounded so nonchalant as if what he was doing was perfectly normal. He seemed to have absolutely no compassion for the woman who made a promise to love and support him as he was getting all of his emotional needs met by someone else. Of course, I was imagining that all of this was the case. I mean, I was assuming I knew exactly what was going on in the wife's head. I mean, it was clear that the man and the other woman were seeing each other outside his marriage, but I have no clue about his situation with his wife. I mean, maybe they slept in separate beds like my mom and stepdad did for many years. Maybe she was even okay with his polyamorous ways and knew that he was seeing someone else. There could be a whole slew of possible explanations, but the scene stuck with me, and at that moment, I made a promise to myself that I would never put someone through that. I committed that no matter how bad my relationship got, I would stay faithful or leave the relationship I was in first before ever putting my romantic, emotional, or physical energy towards someone else. So my voyeurism actually had a positive impact on me. I mean, before I heard this, I really didn't think about infidelity at all. And when I had a girlfriend, I never intended to cheat, but I never thought about how bad it would be if I did. I simply didn't have the knowledge or the foresight or even the empathy to see how destructive cheating could be. But that conversation I overheard made an impact on me. The FCC may not have liked me spying on other people's conversations, but I did learn at a young age just how badly someone could be hurt from infidelity. So let's talk about this very sensitive subject today. I know there's a lot of people out there who've been victim to it, and I know that there are a lot of people that are or were perpetrators as well. There are many facets of temptation and pain and trust and betrayal mixed in with all this cheating, but we're going to focus on mainly the aftermath. After all, if you suspect your partner of cheating, you can just go online and look up warning signs of cheating, and there are plenty of lists to help you determine if it's true. But there is one thing I want to talk about that those lists don't cover well, and that's your instincts. Your instincts provide the strongest clue to consider if your partner is cheating or not. We'll get into that pretty deep in this first segment. And then afterwards, we'll dive into the healing part of the episode. Yes, the show is about healing for both partners. But your instincts are important enough to address first. So if you suspect at all your partner is cheating, this first segment is for you. Infidelity is a violation of the rules of a relationship. When we start a romantic relationship with someone, there are usually a set of boundaries that the relationship either assumes or is clearly communicated about as things get more serious. These rules create a level of comfort and security for those involved so that they don't have to continuously obsess about if their partner is going to do something that will cause them upset. In other words, if one of the relationship rules you establish is that neither of you make a large purchase without consulting the other first, then that is one of the things that you can cross off your list of worries. You've already addressed it, so you can forget about it. Remember that commercial? Set it and forget it. (laughs) With the Ronco rotisserie, you put the chicken in this rotisserie, turning the temperature dial, and then you walk away. This is like establishing rules in a relationship. Once the rules are established, you set them and then forget about worrying about them anymore because once they're set, they should be set, right? If you had to continuously remind each other of the rules, then they aren't rules at all. They're only reminders like sticky notes. Reminders can fall off the fridge and get swept into the garbage. But rules are rules and you either set them and abide by them no matter what or you leave the relationship, right? 
But not all of us do that. Some of us can be lenient with some rules, giving in a little here or there. And the more slack you give, the more that's taken. I mean, it's not always the case, and it doesn't always mean someone's going to cheat, but it is something to observe once in a while, for sure. When you never have to revisit or emphasize the rules, it means that you trust each other. When you can set the rules, then forget them, in the sense that you don't have to worry about enforcing them, that is giving in to trust. Trust, at least in a romantic relationship, involves allowing someone to walk around carrying your heart. I know it's not like this for everyone, but it's the way I look at trust. I can picture my girlfriend at a restaurant with another man and completely trust her because she has my heart with her. It's something that she cherishes and holds on to. I trust her with my heart. So even if the man makes a pass at her, she'll feel me there with her and say, uh, sorry, I'm with Paul. It's that full trust I put in her and know my heart will be safe. This is one perspective, of course. Not everyone has this type of metaphor for trust in a romantic relationship, but I think it describes what most of us want, doesn't it? I would want to know that if some guy made an inappropriate gesture towards her, that she would make it clear that she's with me. Regardless of how trust works for you, it's how we can feel good in life without worrying all the time. When you spend the majority of your time worrying about how your partner is going to respond to you or if your partner is going to cheat on you or hurt you, then you don't trust them. If you spend more time feeling unsafe and insecure, that is your cue to get out of the situation. I hate to be that blunt because we all have really good excuses why we can't leave a situation, but I'm telling you, That is not how a relationship is supposed to work. When you have full trust, you don't worry. When you can trust your partner with your heart, you don't worry. When you feel unsafe, insecure, or even scared half the time, it may be time to leave no matter what. I know someone who wasn't even liked by her husband, but she stuck with the marriage for years. This guy ended up doing a lot of really bad things in the relationship and hurt her heart over and over again. She used the words crushing and devastating, describing her marriage. I don't want any of this for you. If it's gotten to the point where you don't feel trusting enough for the other person to keep your heart safe, then it's time to get help or move on. Or at least talk to your partner and see where it leads. And at most... Go to counseling or leave, but don't just sit there and take it. That's a lingering bad feeling that only gets worse over time. And you know how I feel about lingering negative emotions, right? Knock them out. You need closure on those lingering emotions. Otherwise, they eat away at you both physically and mentally. Lingering negative emotions affect the body. I just had an episode on this very thing recently. And since that episode... I've had a few emails from listeners to corroborate what I spoke of. One woman who wrote to me who had to deal with her husband's infidelity said that the emotional turmoil she went through afterwards caused infections and rashes and panic attacks along with other things. Again, lingering emotions affect the body, which is why it's so important to move past them and get back to living healthy again. When it's before the affair and you have suspicions, Those bad feelings affect your mind and body. When it's after the affair, the same thing happens. Bad feelings float around until you can trust again. And trust is the hard part when it comes down to it. When all the bad thoughts and feelings are stripped away, we're left with a choice to trust or not to trust. When you trust, your instincts are aligned with the behavior you witness. When you don't trust, you know something is off and you can't ever get comfortable. Let's talk about the first step in developing trust. When you first suspect your partner of cheating, the first step is to trust the person who has those suspicions. You. Trust you first. When you're in a situation where you're starting to suspect something, trust yourself first. 
don't dismiss, don't rationalize, don't do any of those self-defeating behaviors we tend to do when something just, quote, can't be true. Just explore what you suspect first. I want to talk about what happens when you get a suspicion, but you don't trust yourself. This is when your instincts kick in, but you use your brain to override your instincts. Almost always, your instincts know more than you do. So what happens when they know something, but you don't want to believe it? Let's begin that discussion now. Like I said earlier, there are quite a few warning signs of infidelity, and those are found all over the web. Any of these signs by themselves could mean nothing, but added up, along with what you know and what you feel, can indicate a potential cheater. But before we talk about healing in the aftermath, I want to talk about one warning sign that isn't often addressed, but probably one of the most powerful indicators of a cheating person. Denial. Yep, that's right. Not them coming home later or acting nicer to you or hiding their phone messages from you. But your denial is one of the strongest indicators of a cheating partner. Denial is what we do when we just can't believe something could be true. So we rationalize it away thinking that it isn't possible. It's that place where your instincts kick in and want to reveal to you the probabilities but your defense mechanisms activate to protect you from the warning signs. It's actually a self-imposed dysfunction. When we protect ourselves from the possible reality of intense emotional pain, it's a dysfunction. Our body is designed to feel and release pain, but our defense mechanisms are the thoughts we use to help suppress the pain. We suppress what we feel because we don't want to feel the pain. It's interesting to look at it this way because our body is doing what comes naturally by presenting you with data that makes you feel suspicious. But then our brain kicks in and convinces us that what we believe is happening simply can't be true. Believing that someone is capable of betraying us is hard to handle on its own, but believing that the other person actually did betray us might be devastating. And who wants to feel devastated? It's such a powerfully negative place to be. No wonder some of us go into denial so easily because the pain of suspecting is usually a lot less than the pain of knowing. This point right here is what keeps some affairs going on for months or years. Again, the pain of suspecting is usually a lot less than the pain of knowing. Denial kicks in when you refuse to believe something that could be true. That would be like pretending someone isn't repeatedly kicking you in the stomach. Of course, it's not exactly the same thing because at least when you're getting kicked, denial is impossible, so you can't rationalize it away. Our instincts work really well. They're designed to work well to protect us. So when they kick in, that indicates something that needs addressing. Denial keeps us from addressing our suspicions. It is what causes things to go on for far too long. I understand denial because my mom is really good at it. She never wants to believe that someone in her family could do something wrong because that would mean she'd have to face the pain of dealing with a hard truth. You know what a hard truth is, right? A hard truth is when you're a kid and you take your dad or mom's luxury car for a drive and then put a dent in it. And then you have a hard truth to come home and tell. Another hard truth might be to tell your significant other how much their new perfume bothers you or how embarrassed you are by their behavior when you go out. These can hurt our partners, so we typically avoid telling them. We can choose to accept these truths as our problems and come to an acceptance inside of ourselves, or we can stuff them down and simply not talk about them. Well, we can also share them with our partner and hope to have a healing conversation with them. When your partner chooses not to share something that affects their emotions towards you, you pick up on it some way. And when you do, you can either choose to go into denial or you can talk about it. Talking about it can either 
bring closure or more questions, but at least you get it out on the table. Let's say you suspect your partner's late nights at work are more than just work. If something doesn't feel right about their reasons for working late, what would you do? Would you not say anything or would you ask the harder questions? This is one of the main reasons I emphasize building honesty in the relationship as soon as possible. Because when a situation arises and you have a suspicion of anything, then your honest thoughts about the situation will be much better received because that is already how you communicate. But if your questioning comes out of nowhere, that will seem a bit strange to your partner. Though I don't want to make it sound like asking is a bad idea. Either way, approaching them is a great idea because of something I truly believe that keeps you emotionally healthy, and that's closure. When you have lingering thoughts, especially suspicious thoughts, closure is the key to moving on and enjoying life again. Denial keeps the door open. Closure ends the lingering. When you're unable to give yourself closure, you leave your mind and body open to damage. It reminds me of a video game I played in the 80s called Warlords. In Warlords, there are four castles on four corners of the screen. They're all facing each other, and in front of each castle is your player. It's really just a block, but you can move it left or right to defend your castle from fireballs that are being shot at your castle. You can either redirect a fireball by letting it bounce off your block, or you can hold on to that fireball and steer it into another player's castle. But the drawback of holding on to the fireball is that the longer you hold on to it, the more fire drops onto your castle, destroying it bit by bit. And that's how I see negative emotions. The longer you hold on to them, the more they tear away at your mind and body bit by bit. The emotions are dripping fire and burning you. So the way to release those emotions, and suspicions are also negative emotions, are to ask for the hard truths. Ask for the hard truths from your partner so that you can get closure on the suspicions. Now, in the case of infidelity, the truthful answer will likely hurt. But it's either the pain you know or the pain you don't. So get out of denial and face the truth so that you can at least move forward. Denial is one of the many signs of infidelity, but it's not often addressed when you see those signs your partner is cheating lists online. But the reason I chose to focus on it is because it's time to trust yourself and your instincts. It doesn't mean that you're right and there's an affair going on, but it does mean that the summation of all your senses has given you a theory that is cause for suspicion. In other words, when you suspect something and you're not sure what it is that you suspect, but you know it's something, that's usually the subconscious part of you picking up things that you aren't detecting consciously. The other person's body language, the inflection in their voice, the way they smell, subtle changes in their behavior, how they look and even how they feel. All of these can be just a tad different than before. While your conscious mind is busy talking to them or paying attention to other things, your unconscious mind is busy picking up the rest of the story. And the way our instincts work is that we're not sure why we feel the way we feel. I mean, that's how suspicion works. We feel a certain way when we suspect something. It's a combination of all of the data that our senses have picked up. We haven't put the pieces together to form a bigger picture, but something is different. This is such a complex issue to talk about. I mean, this might be the hardest show I've ever done to date because so many emotions are involved and every situation is unique. I mean, there are people who know their partners are cheating and stay in the relationship anyway. So do I talk to them? Well, then there are people who are cheaters themselves and are listening to this very show. And maybe they feel regret or not, depending on their situation at home. Do I directly talk to them? And of course, there are those that think everything is great in their marriage, but their partner is sharing their body and energy with another person. I decided to talk about how to heal after the affair is found out. I want to talk to both 
the person who had the affair and the other person that found out about it. I know several people who have either been the victim of betrayal or the perpetrator of the betrayal. And in every case, there was pain on both sides and regret on the side of the perpetrator, at least with the people I know personally. Having an affair is like committing emotional murder. I know, I know, it's so dramatic when I say it that way. It's almost uncalled for, but the pain I've seen people in because of an affair is so heartbreaking. The words crushed and devastated are often used interchangeably when they describe that time in their life. But I don't use those words to to pummel the cheaters. There are those who've committed adultery who are truly sorry and regretful that they did so. I only use those words so that there's some understanding of what the other person goes through when it happens. I'm going to touch on some possible open wounds out there when I talk about committing emotional murder, but I need to say it so that the message is clear of what happens to a person when one of you has an affair. The instant an affair is discovered, it's like being stabbed in the heart. If you've never experienced this, just imagine every possible negative emotion you could have happening at the exact same time. Anger and sadness and humiliation and embarrassment and a whole bunch more. The one person you trusted your heart with just threw it out the window on the way to their lover. Then on their way home, they picked your heart up off the street, wiped it off, stuck it in the trunk and returned home. The feelings of huge loss and immediate distrust of the world wash over you, and you don't know what to do next. It really can be devastating. For those of you who've experienced this, am I close to describing what it's like? Like I said, I've never been cheated on, to my knowledge, but I do know what it's like when the one person you trust with all your heart turns out to be the biggest kick in the face you know. I've spoken once of the story of when I was being abused at four years old. My stepfather took my soiled underwear and forced it into my face to show that four-year-olds shouldn't mess their pants. The one person I thought was there for me was the very person who turned on me. And when I wanted to cry and needed a hug, the person I would normally reach out for was the same person who was abusing me. I had nowhere to turn. It was awful, but later on in life, I was able to process it and release it. Though at four, I was hardly old enough to know what was considered healthy and what was considered dysfunctional. At least when we're children who haven't learned any better, pain is almost considered a normal part of childhood. It's so cold to say that because it minimizes the serious issue of child abuse, but that is one saving grace. As awful as some moments of my childhood were, I had defensive mechanisms that blocked some of those memories, helping me to survive. Of course, we always have to deal with those repressed memories and accompanying emotions when we get older, but that's another episode. When we're adults and we have to deal with something like betrayal, this strikes us on an entirely different level. Our minds are mature and we aren't so carefree like children. We hold grudges and repress anger and sadness. We know how to define our pain, so we explore it and feel it inside and out. We attach stories to our pain that we can't let go. We find blame and feel guilty. We become a wreck as it affects our love life and our career and our family, the whole thing. It causes a whirlwind, and it may feel like our world is collapsing around us. Children move on to the next thing, even though they're being abused. It's, it's almost like the loyalty of a dog. They keep coming back. Children come back even after severe abuse. And that's something that sometimes happens with adults. You get cheated on. You go through a myriad of awful feelings. And then sometimes you go back. You go back because you realize that even though the person hurt you, he or she may still love you and can still fulfill many of your needs. The difference between going back to a parent that abused you or a romantic partner that cheated on you is that there's more of a likelihood the partner is willing to work things out and never cheat again. Whereas an abusive parent doesn't often see the light and stop abusing. 
at least according to all the people I've known who've ever gotten abused. And this is an important talking point for both the person who's been cheated on and the cheater themselves, because a cheater doesn't always have to be a cheater. A cheater can recognize a mistake and never make that same mistake again. They could fall into temptation, then regret it immediately afterwards. This can open the door for forgiveness and rebuilding, but not always. If you've been cheated on, did you stay with your partner? And if so, why? And if you stayed, it must be because you want to trust or actually do trust them not to do it again. And if that's the case, how is your relationship now? Is it stronger than before? Because if it isn't, you may be heading for disaster once again. I'd like to now share a story with you of someone who got cheated on. She was a very sweet woman who couldn't get past some of the emotional triggers from the affair her husband had. Let's talk about her now. When I had my hypnosis practice, I had a client whose husband cheated on her with multiple women during a time when she was sick. He wasn't getting his emotional or physical needs met, so he decided to seek them elsewhere. When she found out about it, she felt worthless and alone, and of course, crushed. Her heart was thrown out the window, so to speak. However, she loved so much about this man that she decided to forgive him and take him back into the relationship. The only problem was that every time she saw a woman that she believed her husband might have an attraction to, she got filled with bad feelings. No matter what he said, she was filled with negative emotions and reliving the affairs he had inside her head. She couldn't get rid of those images no matter what. Well, some hypnosis worked and some didn't. I was able to help her feel better, but the bad feelings were very strong. That's when I realized she wouldn't allow herself to experience the full range of negative thoughts and emotions that she was having. She would have a bad thought, then try to stuff it away so she wouldn't have to feel it. This is denial after the fact. She was denying herself from feeling bad by trying to stuff the bad feelings away. Even though she really believed he would never cheat again, and he swore up and down on his life that he never would, she would still get these debilitating thoughts, and because of this, he could never live down the fact that he cheated. And that's a recipe for disaster. That formula where one person cheats, then is taken back and forgiven, but then is reminded of that cheating over and over again because the person who got cheated on keeps getting triggered, will lead to a breakup or possibly more cheating. She would have these bad thoughts that popped into her head that led to bad feelings. Then she would make him feel bad for cheating on her all over again. If she wanted the relationship to work out, it wouldn't, not with this type of repetitive behavior. Something needed to change so that the relationship could start to rebuild itself. In her case, one of the steps we took was to push her beyond the pain. This was probably the hardest thing I ever had to do with anyone because it's like setting off a bomb when it happens. But here's what I did. I asked her to recall a time that upsets her. Not the time when he cheated, but a time after she took him back that puts her in that bad state of painful emotions. This would be when she is reminded of what he did. So she did, and she started crying. I asked her, what are you imagining right now? And she told me. She saw him and another woman together, and she was starting to get upset. Then she said, I don't want to think about this anymore. Can we stop? And this is the point where we can stop at her pain threshold or push beyond what she can handle. If we stop here, we can approach it again another time and slowly work our way through all of the emotions. However, that could take years of resistance and lots of money, so I decided to light the fuse and set off the bomb. I told her, I want you to imagine the worst case scenario. I want you to imagine them fully engaged and everything you hate about it to appear in your head. Create a clear image of your husband and that woman or other women in your mind so that you have to witness everything. 
Now, this is a dangerous place to take someone, and I'll probably never do it again, but I knew she was on the verge of a breakthrough, so I had to move forward with it. So she reluctantly did. She imagined more of the very bad scene, and she cried even more because of it. I think she even started shaking. Then I told her to go even further and amplify the images and feel the pain and let it all play out in her head right now. At this point, she yelled, No, I can't, I can't. And she ran out of my office, screaming down the hall. I got up and ran after her. And when I caught up to her in another empty office at the end of the hall, I was able to help her break through the pain, telling her it was okay to release everything now, and that her full expression right here and now was her moment of full release. When she finally calmed and came back to the office, she did clear up a bit. She was calm and wiped her eyes, and she was back to the here and now, still a little shaken, but recovering from her breakdown. And at that moment, we ended the session. Well, the next day she came back, and she was a different person. Her face was bright, she was smiling, and I remember she just looked younger. I said, wow, you look so different. She said, I feel different. I feel so much better. We talked back and forth, and I found out that much of her pain was gone now. She wasn't reliving those old painful moments anymore. She felt free. For her return session, I just reinforced those good feelings and gave her some hypnosis to help her feel good again if she ever felt an episode coming on. The point of the story is to share with you how the relationship she wanted to rebuild, she was also sabotaging at the same time. She loved him and was willing to move forward with him, but kept having these reminding images over and over again, causing her to relive the pain. He regretted cheating and wanted a real relationship with his wife again, but also had to work with her who kept bringing it up time and time again. It's not that he didn't deserve these reminders in a way, but at what point is too much too much? At what point do you stop bringing up the past and focus on moving forward and rebuilding a relationship that you want to work? In another episode, I told you to Always amplify negative, lingering emotions so that you can get past the point where resistance kicks in. In other words, when you have terribly painful emotions, they stick around because you choose to remember or feel the pain only up to a certain point, and then you choose to repress them again. This cycle of feeling bad, then repressing, keeps the thoughts and emotions coming back over and over again. And It never ends, at least until you go beyond the pain you felt before, until you push beyond your own limits into even more pain, where release and the end of suffering is possible. Total release of suffering is what sits atop the precipice of pain. Once you go beyond the point where you can't take the pain, it takes you to a whole new level of tolerance for pain, and more importantly, breaks through the pain and into release. I think many of us don't want to tolerate pain. We just want to repress it so we don't feel it. I'm backwards, however. When I sense a bad image come into my mind, I expand it. I make it more visual. I make it more painful. And I amplify all the bad feelings until I've explored it completely. Believe me, it sucks. (laughs) But when I do this, I suddenly... I'm not so sensitive as I was before. And if I'm able to explore every possible avenue of pain with this thought, I'm less likely to be triggered in the future. Now, this doesn't always work when I do it by myself. Sometimes I need days or even weeks of exploring and digging into myself to be able to release something. And even recently, I found myself with an egging thought and emotion I simply couldn't get rid of. So I had to explore things I don't normally use to heal. I used tapping or emotional freedom technique to release the trigger. I mentioned this once before, but I hardly ever use it. But sometimes I cannot be objective enough about my own stuff to be able to heal through it. So I resort to something I don't fully understand. This helps me heal because I'm not thinking logically or rationally. 
I recommend you look up EFT or tapping for those emotional problems that just don't seem to go away. And of course, find a therapist if you're really stuck on something because you are not your own best healer all the time. I believe anyone can heal themselves, but I also believe that you can be your own biggest resistance to healing as well. I want you to heal from infidelity, whether you're together with the person or not. This is painful stuff. But before we end today's episode, there's the other side of the coin I want to address, and that is how the cheater can grow and heal through this too. I want to talk about an aspect of cheating that puts the cheater in a different light. A cheater has certainly earned going through the ringer as they betrayed your trust. But what if the cheater absolutely regrets the cheating? What if he or she had the temptation, slept with one or more people during a certain period of time in your relationship, then after it all blew up, wanted to save the marriage and chose to put all of their time and energy into doing just that? And what if that's what you wanted too? Let's talk about something that you may not have considered yet. The one who cheats and regrets has a long, difficult journey ahead of them, especially if their partner wants to continue and rebuild the relationship. They went through the act. They were either caught or admitted to it. They were accepted back into the relationship, and now they have to regain the trust of their partner. The cheater feels like less of who they were. They know they just caused their partner awful pain, and they may never be able to live that down. They face the guilt and punishment from that time in their relationship in many ways. Their friends and family may know about it, and they'll get looks from others for quite a long time. Remember, this is if the cheater regrets their behavior and has no intention of ever repeating it. If you know a cheater who repeats this behavior, that's probably not someone you want to be in a relationship with. But if the regretful cheater wants to lose the title of cheater, he or she has a bumpy road ahead. What happens is that not only do they feel incredible guilt and sadness, they also get that reinforced from their partner. They feel awful and their partner makes them feel worse. This is probably good for the first few months as it acts as sort of a punishment for the cheater. But eventually, the trust has to be earned and forgiveness has to sink in or it will never work. I've talked to quite a few men who have cheated on their wives and there's a recurring theme I see over and over again. After the affair is over and the story is out and the wife knows everything, they feel emasculated. They feel pathetic, undeserved of love and less than a human being. They feel like they've done the worst thing in the world and will now choose to live in this unempowered place for the rest of their lives. Their women and men too if they were gay, took them back and they came crawling back with their tails between their legs and have stayed that way ever since. This is a true place of submission, compliance, and obedience. These men now do everything the woman wants. They share with their wives all their messages back and forth with people. They check in all the time. And they let their wives know everything that's going on in their lives at all times, just to continue to prove that they are now loyal and will be loyal forever. Now think about this for a moment. Let's say you made the biggest mistake in your life. You regretted it and you asked for forgiveness and then received it. Then from that point on, you act as if you're still the same person who made the mistake. And you might even be with someone who remind you of it all the time. Imagine that you're continuously reminded of a mistake you made a long time ago, never able to live it down, no matter how much you've changed. It can turn a person into a pathetic, submissive, sorry shell of who they once were. They've lost desire and passion and are only there to serve you and be reminded of how wrong they were. There is a period of time where a cheater needs to go through some punishment, but after that, there's an opportunity for the cheater to step into his or her own power again. The men I know that have cheated feel like they can never feel empowered again, so they stay broken and submissive. 
they don't feel like men anymore. Now, if you're someone who is rebuilding their relationship with someone who cheated on you, and they're in this place of sorrow and regret, is this the type of person you've always dreamed of being with? Do you want a healthy, loving relationship full of vitality and passion? Or is it better for you to make sure that person stays, for a lack of a better word, pathetic? Is this your dream relationship? I'm willing to bet your ideal mate looks a lot better than that. So what needs to happen for him to feel like a man again? What does he need to do to break out of this shell and become the person he needs to become to feel his power again? And this works both ways too, whether you're a man or a woman. Once you are in a space of regret and guilt, when do you step out of that to live life again? If you've really learned your lesson and will never cheat again, then it's time to become mentally healthy again and be the person your partner wants. My friend told me that men who are in this pathetic state need to, and I quote, grow some balls. (laughs) Well, that's not untrue, but it will be a give and take between two people. Both of you need to support the growth of each other, not the downfall. Both of you need to show the other that you're stepping into your power again. What that means is that if you cheated, you're going to prove your love for the one you love, not live in a pathetic place inside yourself. You want to step into a powerful place of confidence and vigor and showing that your partner that, yeah, I messed up bad and I wish I hadn't, but damn it, I'm going to be your rock from this point on. I'm there for you when you need me. But this time, I'm also going to be there for me and a person who is committed to being the best I can for the one I love. When a former cheater can step into his or her power and be a mentally healthy person, he or she becomes what the other one really needs in order for the relationship to thrive. If one or both of you are in a pathetic or sorrowful state, that's no way to rebuild the relationship. And if it's too soon and the pain still stings too much, maybe you need to go through a grieving period before either of you can step into these roles. But there is a point where this place of weakness and guilt has to stop so that the foundation of integrity and strength can be built up even stronger than it was before. This episode isn't about forgiving and moving on. It's about empowerment. Once an affair happens and you want to put the pieces back together, It doesn't mean that one or both of you have to live life in shame forever. You'll go through that at first, but then you need to hop into your power again. Good relationships are built on empowerment, determination, strong feelings towards each other, and rock-like support. If you are an infidelity survivor and you want it to work, then prove your worth, not your fear. Show your partner that, yeah, you're still hurting, but you want this to work, damn it, so let's make this happen. Sometimes just the hard truth is what you need to move forward. Yep, I screwed up, but I want to make things better now. Are you with me? Or, yeah, you screwed up. I might still be angry with you, but let's face this head on because I want it to work out. You're still building trust with me, but I need you to stand up and be the rock for me. Not cower down and hope you're forgiven every minute of every day. This is not how I want my relationship to be. When you both step into your power, things will start to shift. I know it's hard, but remember there's a point where the blaming, shaming, and guilt tripping have to stop so that you can start something new. Otherwise, your foundation will be shaky all over again. What's the perfect answer to all this cheating nonsense? What is the best course of action after you cheat on someone or they cheat on you? What do you do with a flood of awful emotions that come up from inside, probably ones you've never experienced before? There is no perfect answer. Introducing an affair into a relationship will alter everything. If you're thinking of cheating, my advice is not to do it. Giving in to temptation 
get you a quick high coupled with a long-term emotional pain. And if you've been cheated on and your partner regrets it and they want to keep the relationship, they need to accept that there'll be a few months or longer of you being hyper-aware and observing their every move. And I fully encourage that. (laughs) The cheater will be scrutinized for months and their every move will be subject to judgment and interpretation. If you're a former cheater and it's been several months or even longer than a year and you've had no thoughts of cheating again, then step into who you are and who you want to be for your partner. The victim of cheating may be harboring lots of pain still, but if the former cheater is actually forgiven, then that person needs to step up to the plate and become the loving, confident person that the other one wants for a romantic partner. A former cheater who regrets their mistake and whom you've really forgiven needs to be given the space to find him or herself again and step into that. Otherwise, a disempowered life is no life at all. Walking around in shame and guilt and submission all the time is not what one half of a relationship should be. And if you're still mortally wounded from being cheated on and still can't trust your partner, then maybe it's time to consider that the relationship simply won't work out. Every situation is different and everyone needs to heal in their own way and in their own time. It's possible the saying, once a cheater, always a cheater, can be an accurate description of you or your partner. And if it's been too long and you still feel that way, then the relationship may not be meant to be. But if you do honestly trust the person who once cheated and know that they won't cheat again, but you still have feelings of resentment or anger, then it's time for you to step into your power and be the person you'd want to be if the cheating never took place in the first place. In other words, if the cheating never happened, how would you want to feel in a relationship? Who would you want to be for your partner? At one point, the shaming, guilting, and pain has to stop so that you can actually rebuild the relationship with a solid foundation of love, not a shaky foundation of pain and anger. There are many opinions about all of this mess, I realize. As much as I believe I am full of unconditional love, I don't think I'd be able to stay in a relationship with someone who cheated on me, especially because I ask for clear communication from the very beginning when getting to know someone. I don't like head games. I only want to hear truths, even if they hurt. If my girlfriend is starting to have feelings of cheating, I would rather have her come up to me and say, I'm having feelings of cheating, than to have her hide it. At least when it's out on the table like that, it might actually save our relationship instead of create what could be a nightmare of pain in the future. My final words on all of this are, one, if you've been cheated on, forgive yourself first. Forgive yourself if you feel stupid or conned or whatever. Forgive yourself for allowing certain people into your life. Then after you forgive yourself, you can be open to forgiving others. If the cheater regrets and you believe they are sincere, that's when you can start healing with them. And when you're ready, you can step into who you want to be in a relationship and not let the fear of someone cheating again run your life. It could happen, of course. I won't lie. The cheater could cheat again. But isn't that true of anyone? Couldn't any one of us, even those who have never cheated, have an affair? In the right circumstance, under the perfect conditions, with the most compatible person, the temptations are there. And we either trust the one we are with, or we don't. So when it comes to your healing, you either trust the person you're with, former cheater or not, or you don't. If you don't, are they genuinely earning your trust day by day? Or will you always have an underlayer of distrust towards them? Once you know the answer to that question, you can decide if this is a relationship you want to continue. Number two, if you suspect your partner may be cheating, confront them. Ask them. I mean, if the communication in your relationship is ambiguous, 
you'll always have suspicions. But if you are direct and want to know the truth, ask direct questions. Now, a cheater may lie, but go with your instincts. I asked the victim of a cheater what her instincts told her, and she said she believed from the beginning that he was cheating, but denial kept her in the relationship. He would cry and beg her to come back as part of his manipulation. He promised to change and be an honest husband again. But her instincts told her otherwise. And as soon as she let her rationalizations kick in like, Well, he did seem sincere. Or, Well, he promised, so I guess he means it. She listened to those over her instincts. And in her case, she should have listened to her instincts. We have instincts for a reason. Trust in those first, then go from there. Number three, if you're considering cheating, remember the emotional murder that you're committing. It's harsh, I know, but when you're in someone's heart, they've let you into their most vulnerable place. And by betraying the trust they have given you, and that's a lot of trust, you are chipping away at their very soul. Dramatic? Yes. But I'm helping you avoid a massive mistake. If you feel like cheating, tell your partner just that. Do it and tell them why. It won't go well, but it will get everything out in the open. It could end everything right then and there, which gives you the open door to do whatever you want after that anyway. Or it could lead to the most powerful healing and bonding experience of a lifetime. Number four, and finally, if you cheated on someone and you regret it, and know that you'll never do such a thing again, and your partner wants to rebuild the relationship, the punishment will come first. Your partner will want you to feel guilty, shame, and remorse. He or she will want you to know how much pain you made them feel and will want you to walk around like a beaten dog with your tail between your legs. There are very few people that will forgive right away, so expect this to happen. And maybe you deserve this for a while. Maybe you deserve to feel all this negativity for a while so that you can remember what it was like to put someone through that. I'm not making any judgments on whether you actually deserve it or not, but this backlash is very likely unavoidable. What goes around comes around. This is the natural order of life. When you go over to the greener grass, your own grass will eventually die. It's inevitable and almost always unavoidable. But when enough time has passed, whether it's three months, six months, or even a year, it will be time to crawl out of that hole you've been in so that you can start living life again, too. You may have committed emotional murder, but you shouldn't be sentenced to life for it. Eventually, you need to step into your power again, not only for you, but for the other person as well. One half of a relationship that is feeling shame and guilt and regret does not make a healthy relationship. When enough time has passed, there needs to be progress. Keeping your head down in shame is not what a truly committed life partner wants or needs in their life. Stand up and step into a higher self. And if those old flames come back and want to be with you again, and you know who I mean, squelch their fire and be the rock of stability that will not falter from your partner's side. If you are truly committed to the relationship you are in and you want to rebuild it, then it's up to you to eliminate anything that's a threat to the harmony you are trying to create. Old flames can burn the relationship that you're in. Show your partner that you're always carrying a fire extinguisher so that he or she knows that you're committed to them. It's a corny reference, I know, but (laughs) sometimes it helps to carry an image around in your head so that you can act swiftly when needed. And for anyone in a relationship, it will always be up to you on whether you want to save it after an affair. Some are worth saving. Others may have never had a chance to begin with. My wish for you is that you keep the line of communication open. Don't be afraid to confront and face hard truths because that is what prevents a lot of this from happening in the first place. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, If your intentions are true and you want things to work out and enough time has passed, step into your power and be the person your partner needs. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I thank Chelsea and Melanie, Anne-Marie, Jesus, Stephen, Charles, Irving, Carrie, Annie, Nivia, Todd, Holly, Lindsay, Brett, Aveline, Leslie, Kendrick, Dylan, Verna, and Sue. Wow, there's a lot of people that signed up for the newsletter this week, so I appreciate that. And uh, for all of those who wrote in, I appreciate you very much. And if I didn't call your name, just know that I appreciate you too. And thank you for being there for me, listening, learning, and growing. Keep up with the show by heading over to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and sign up for your weekly personal growth message. You can also write to me anytime by sending me an email to paul at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I also want to thank the many listeners who are using the donate button on the site and also shopping at Amazon through the link theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash Amazon. If you find this show valuable to you, just say thank you by using the link theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash Amazon. You are making a difference and it's going towards a good cause. You. Expressing the hard truths about yourself is the first step in establishing a strong foundation in a relationship. As you express a hard truth, it adds a solid brick to your foundation. It's real. It's not based on hope or fear. These hard truths, when addressed right up front, will leave less room for surprise later on. It doesn't matter if you've never cheated or been cheated on or if you have. The foundation you start to build or rebuild is what sets the tone for the rest of your relationship. If you build a strong foundation of communication, you will always know where each other are in the relationship. It can be hard, I know, but it's easier to go through the hard stuff now to avoid the pain that could come up later. The light of love can make your relationship glow. So keep that light shining with honest talk and by stepping into your power, not your darkness. Because when you do that, you'll create the magic that romance is made of. Step into your power so that the next time you look into the mirror, you can absolutely believe what I already know to be true. That you are amazing. Amazing.